welcome to Beach Body Georgia Politics Podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and you're going to hear from Luke Boggs shortly. Happy New Year to everybody and thank you so much for joining us for another year of Peach Pod. Um, on this week's episode, you're going to hear two conversations that we had back in December. The first conversation was one that I had with Stacey Evans. She's one of the Democratic candidates currently running for governor. Um, I talked to her about a paper that Claire Suggs wrote at the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute. She recently put out a paper in December about the role that poverty plays in low school performance, and she she finds that uh, 70% of Georgia schools cite poverty as one of the most critical out-of-school challenges that they face. And her research shows that when you take a look at the school performance ratings that the state uses and you match that to the poverty levels of the district that the schools are in, you tend to find that the schools that struggle the most are also in some of the poorest parts of the state. Um, So I wanted to hear from former Representative Evans about this issue and about how she thinks about the role that poverty plays in schools um, and what she would do about it if she was to become Georgia's next governor. So that's our first conversation. And then the second conversation that we had, Luke had a conversation with Jonathan Wallace. He's your new state representative for House District 119. Uh, You'll probably remember that we talked with Representative Wallace during the campaign, talked a little bit about his campaign and what he was running on and the things he wanted to do if he was to get elected. Um, We just wanted to check back in with now Representative Wallace about how he's preparing for his first legislative session, some of the things that he wants to work on under the Gold Dome, and what it's like to be a brand new representative in the Georgia legislature. Um, So that's the second conversation you're going to hear. That's between Luke and Jonathan Wallace. Uh, But first, I will turn it over to Representative Evans and I um, to talk about the role that poverty plays in school. All right. So I'm now joined by Stacey Evans, a former member of the Georgia House of Representatives from Smyrna and a candidate for the Democratic nomination for governor. Uh, Representative Evans, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So you introduced your campaign with 16 Homes, a video about constantly moving and and living one step ahead of the bill collectors. So could you talk a little bit about how that experience shapes how you understand the role that poverty plays as a barrier for students in low-income families trying to get an education? Sure. And I, and the upbringing that I have, and let's be clear, I don't, I don't think it's unique. I think there are a lot of uh, Georgia kids who live lives similar to what I live. And there are a lot of folks that are as adults living ill effects of having been brought up in homes where poverty was a constant and so it's not unique but I think what it shows is that I do understand these issues and I do understand the barriers and I understand how lucky I was and fortunate to come through school at a time where there was a government program that gave me access to an opportunity that allowed me to change the trajectory of my life and where it was headed and so I understand the sliding door aspect of having access to an opportunity. For me, it was the Hope Scholarship to change my life. But if you don't have something like that that comes along and you're a child growing up in poverty, you may never escape it. And like I said, for me, it was a scholarship. For someone else, it could be an after-school program or a mentoring program or a special teacher that pulls you aside and and shows you uh, possibilities that you never dreamed of. But we have to have those interventions. If, if children are left to go along down these paths, 
then the path is going to continue. And so understanding that and understanding that you have to have access to opportunity to lift yourself out of those circumstances, no matter how hardworking you are, no matter how determined you are, something else is going to have to happen. And so understanding that, I believe, puts me in a position to be a governor who will always be thinking of that and figuring out ways to help folks lift themselves out of poverty and onto a better life. So the paper that we're talking about today from the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute shows that performance measures that the state uses to rate schools could really just be considered measures of poverty in school districts. Uh, 99% of schools under extreme poverty get a D or an F on the state's rating scale, and over 80%, or about 80% of high poverty schools get a D or an F. Was that finding surprising to you, and, and what do you take away from that finding from GBPI? It wasn't surprising to me at all. Um, it didn't mean that it was any less disappointing for me to, to read or that it didn't sadden me, but it didn't surprise me because having grown up in a situation where we were constantly struggling, I know that there are so many things that keep students from performing at their highest levels or to their to reach their, their God-given potential, things that happen completely outside of the classroom. And, and and poverty is such a huge part of that. I mean, if you are moving from house to house constantly, you are um, having that uncertainty about where you're going to go. You're coming home and the lights are out. You're watching and seeing domestic violence in your house. Uh, you don't have a washing machine and, and you have to go to the laundromat or sometimes you can't get to the laundromat. Your clothes are dirty. All these things keep you from living out your full potential in the classroom. And so it's not surprising to me that schools with a large share of students who are living these burdens at home are coming to school. And then, of course, they're not able to perform at the same level of a student who has a very stable home, maybe maybe lives their entire life, K through 12 in the same house, has uh, a two-parent household, um, never hears parents fighting, or at least not in a domestic violence situation. Everybody argues, right? but never has that stress of hiding in their room, wondering what their mom's going to look like the next morning and wondering if they're going to have a place to go because you hear the landlord coming in and screaming about how nobody's paid rent for two months. Children hear all of that. And to expect a child who's living a life of poverty to come into a classroom and perform at the same level as a student who's going home and there's always food on the table, the lights are always on, the parents are always there. The parents are able to invest in opportunities for students to have after-school opportunities or extracurricular activities that's going to enhance their ability to learn. We would be foolish, and we are foolish to think that those two students need the same things in the classroom. So I'm not surprised, but I am very sad that even as far as we've come in, in education, that there still seems to be a lack of understanding about what needs to happen in the classroom to make sure that all of our students have the potential to live out their full potential. Could you talk a little bit about some of the ideas that you have to address poverty in schools and in education when you're um, in Georgia, if you were to become Georgia's next governor? Absolutely. Well, number one, we've got to fully fund our schools. And, and folks say that a lot, but it's absolutely true. Money doesn't solve everything, but it sure does help. And we've got to make sure that our funding formula for our schools reflects need. We need to weight a higher amount for schools that have a large share of students that are living in poverty because we know that it costs more 
to educate a child living in, living in poverty than one that doesn't, and our funding formula has to reflect that. Um, we need to implement, and, and I will implement as governor, a community school model so that all of these issues that are going on outside the classroom that we've been talking about can be addressed. We want to make sure that there are wraparound services. We want to make sure that there are more eyes and ears in the classroom so that we can meet students where they are and catch the interventions that are keeping the students from from performing at their highest potential. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we are going to uncover learning disabilities. We are going to uncover domestic violence situations at home or heaven forbid, a situation where a child is being abused. These are hard problems and we have to know about them and we have to address them. Sometimes it's easier things. It's learning that a child uh, needs a pair of eyeglasses because they can't see the front of the room or they might need an alarm clock because their mom and dad are already off to work by the time it's time for the student to catch the school bus and there's no one there to wake them up and they're uh, perpetually late or tardy from school, just missing that simple thing of having somebody wake up, wake up a child. These are things that we can catch and address with a community school model, with a focus, with a intentional efforts to provide wraparound services to our schools, making sure that um, if it's an issue of a child being hungry, that we've got a community partner that can take care of that need. In my area where I used to represent in Cobb County, all of my elementary schools had majority the majority of the students in those schools uh, qualified for free and reduced lunch. Um, they had a very high transiency rate. Families were moving from apartment complex to apartment complex and ending up in different school districts within Cobb County. And a principal took it upon herself to go around and figure out why, why are people moving so much within not a very large radius. It wasn't that people were moving to a different county or a different state. They were moving not too far away. And what she found out was that there were a large number of apartment complexes in Cobb County that were offering first month rent free or other incentives for folks to move into their communities. And people were apartment hopping to be able to afford housing. And so she was able to work with the apartment complexes to um, cut down on that practice so that students were able to stay in the same school for the length of the school year. Um, little things, those, those are big things, but they're, they're little things if you catch them. Um, and we just have to do that, and we can't expect teachers to do that all by themselves. They need helpers, and that's, some, that's a structure that the community school model can provide. We need to make sure that we are closing the achievement gap. There's a, a big gap that gets created between middle and upper income families and students who are struggling in poverty over the summer. Um, we need to make sure that there's access to to learning opportunities in the summer, after school programs, and as we move into thoughts for all of our children for what they're going to do after high school, we need to make sure that if they are headed to a four-year school, that they have access to the SAT and the ACT, ACT and access to to test prep. These are things that if you if you have means, uh, it's a foregone conclusion. But if you don't. It, you don't. You know, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And we've got to make sure that um, students are having access to opportunities that's going to allow them to thrive. And again, I think a community school model allows us to set up that structure and we've got to invest in that and encourage it from the state's perspective.
So one of the things that struck me since I started working in public policy in Georgia is how pervasive poverty is as a fundamental issue across a lot of different policy areas. Being poor makes it difficult to live in areas with the best schools or have easy access to health care, and poor communities struggle to attract or create their own businesses that would lead to good jobs. But when I was a kid, I grew up in a middle-class home outside of Atlanta, and people living in poverty wasn't something that we ever thought or talked much about in my family. So how do we elevate issues of poverty in our politics and help the lucky folks who are well-off understand what challenges those who aren't so lucky face in their lives? I really appreciate you recognizing uh, that difference in your upbringing and wanting to, to learn more and wanting to know how we can spread understanding because it's so important. And it's something that I didn't really understand until I got to the legislature. And the best way that we can uh, deal with this and make sure that we elevate the issues and make sure that uh, folks, and particularly folks with a decision-making role, understand circumstances outside of themselves is for those of us who have stories of poverty, have stories of struggle, whatever those may be, that we share them. Um, It took me a long time to talk out loud about being the first person in my family to go to college. But once I did that, I realized what it was doing to educate those around me. And that was even before I ran for public office. You kind of take it for granted that people understand because you only know what you know. And just as you only knew what you knew growing up, I only knew what I knew. And I assumed that people understood that. And so we have to be willing to share our stories and have hard conversations. And this isn't in the context of K through 12, but I'm going to share a story that happened in my first session in the legislature that really brought this point home. I was talking to fellow Democratic legislators um, at the time when we were then at the state house debating the cuts to the HOPE scholarship program, those massive cuts that gutted the program in 2011. That was my first session, uh, which we can talk about that another time about how absolutely heartbreaking it was to be there and watch my lifeline get cut, cut to shreds. But I was having conversations with fellow Democrats, folks that I thought it would understand the issues that um, students have who don't come from families who've been saving for college, who don't come from families who have folks who have been through the college process before, the unique struggles that they have and why financial aid, why the HOPE scholarship, not having an SAT requirement, for example, or the fact that it would cover full tuition, why that was so important and why changing that, why adding an SAT, why cutting the amount of the scholarship was so detrimental to families. I was talking to fellow legislators who said, well, I got student loans. Can't everybody just get student loans? Or I worked. I mean, why can't these students just do do that? Isn't some percentage of tuition better than nothing? Well, yes, it is, except that if the gap between what gets covered and what doesn't is more than you have, because whether it's $5 or $5 million, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And the lack of understanding that some students have no place to go to make up that difference, because guess what? They're already working. They're already taking out student loans to pay for housing, and they don't have the ability to call mom and dad or call a grandparent or call an aunt and uncle and get the money that they need to make up for unexpected expenses or a cut in the scholarship program. And when you really talk to folks and dig into that, you sort of see a light bulb like, oh, yeah, maybe I didn't think of myself um, as a student who had a lot of wealth. But they could always call their mom or dad if they needed a little extra. There were 
there was a two-parent household, there were folks who had been to college before, folks that had some financial stability, as opposed to there are families out there, and mine was one of these, and there are a lot of them out there, that there is, if unexpected expenses come up, if you've cut a scholarship that used to cover full tuition, there is nowhere else to go. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip. That's what my grandma used to always say. You, You can't get it. And there are a lot of folks, more than you would think, that just don't realize that and won't unless those of us who have the opposite story share it. And so that to me is the most important thing that we can do and make sure that as lawmakers, we are constantly seeking out opinions from folks who don't look like us, who've had different experiences than us, who've come from different parts of the state from us. You can extrapolate misunderstandings and lack of information that people have among circumstances to a lot of different situations, not just education. We have got to talk to each other more and share our stories more. And is there anything I missed about this that you wanted to cover? It's just so important. Access to education is so important. Access to a good K through 12, to early learning, even before you get to kindergarten and access to uh, financial aid to allow all of our students across the state to access technical college or four-year college is so important because there is no other equalizer out there like education. It is, that is it. That's how we move folks from uh, income bracket to income bracket. And it's, we know right now that there's not a lot of movement. The American dream is really hard in America and in Georgia. It's hard. If you come from a household income in the top quartile, you have an 82% chance to go to college and a 71% chance to graduate. The odds are good that you're headed off to a good education that's going to get you to a career that's going to allow you to live a good middle class or higher life. If you are from the bottom quartile of household income, you have only a 45% chance to ever step foot on a college campus, technical or otherwise. 45% chance to ever walk through the door and only an 8% chance to graduate, 8 So there is some inequality out there. And again, money's not everything. Government can't do everything, but money helps a lot. And there are things that government can do. We can reward. We always want to reward hard work and determination, but sometimes that alone is not enough. We've got to make sure that the opportunity by having a good public school to go to is there and that financial aid will be available for those who need it who want to continue their education uh, beyond high school. And the sooner we recognize that, the sooner that we will have the state that we all want. And whether you, whether as a policymaker, you think this because you want to help folks climb into the middle class, or whether you just think from a pure business standpoint, you want to make sure that we always have enough workers to attract the kind of jobs that we want, whatever your reason, we've got to do something about those barriers to entry into um, a good K-12 education and higher education that exists because of poverty. We have to. Great. Well, thank you so much for your thoughts, and, and thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And with that, I'll turn it over to Luke and Jonathan Wallace. Hello, and welcome to Peach Pog. I am your host, Luke Boggs. I am fresh away from my law school finals, and so I'm where exactly where I want to be in talking to Jonathan Wallace, who is my uh, state house representative, because you've been sworn in, right? That's correct. Now. So you are currently my state house rep and not yes. a potential or future, but you are the current. So that is uh, very exciting. I'm happy, happy to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, and so, you know, we uh, wanted to round back around with you to just talk to you about what it's been like 
having won this race and getting ready for your first session. You know, this is, of course, your first elected gig in politics, first time in that. So just sort of like what's your process been in getting ready for a uh, legislative session, which will just be in a couple weeks? Yeah, it might not be very exciting to hear, <laughs> but my process has been catch up on all the work in the day job that right. had been, <laughs> it's important. Had, had not seen the full my full attention. Uh, and that's been a large part of it. Other than that, it's uh, uh, there's been a little bit of uh, work to wrap up some some loose ends that you know writing some thank you notes to folks for uh, the funds that they had supported uh, the campaign with. And uh, but after being sworn in, I, things have started to move a little bit more. And uh, my process has been uh, really just asking a lot of people, telling everyone that I meet that I know nothing, yeah. and I'm uh, very. Uh, appreciative of any advice they would like to share and then just like getting as much of that advice as I can because uh, I don't think I can get enough Um, yeah and it's starting to stick some of it's starting to stick and some is starting to come together with uh, with a clearer vision of what it might be what my responsibilities will be at the at the state house yeah so is there being any like particular piece of advice that's been specifically good or something that's really stuck with you um or? i don't know if any of it's good I, that'll be <laughs> yeah to be determined right <laughs> exactly. we'll, we'll have to talk after session and that's see. right that's right the advice that i that i received from a lot of legislators is to listen you know i think that's the thing that you know sort of comes naturally to me when i'm learning something new is to just ask everybody and realize that they're all going to bring their own perspective to uh, to the job and and help me. And I need to listen for that and understand what perspective they're bringing and and try to remember what they said and then and then bring that in. But since a lot of it's been listened, I think that's the number one thing. Uh, the interesting thing and piece of advice that I heard this morning from someone who's an elected official uh, but not a state legislator uh, said, uh, "Be very intentional about the with whom you caucus with. Like you know, mm-hmm. who do you work with at the Capitol? Uh, because that'll dictate how effective you are at the Capitol." And uh, that was the first time I'd heard that. So uh, that's the most recent piece of advice that I've received. But it was something that I hadn't heard from anyone else. And that includes folks who've already been to the state house and have years, you know, collectively many, many years of experience. Uh, the other piece of advice I would say is to, uh, to remember that I'm representing my district in 119. I'm representing all the, the voters in District 119. And to make sure that's the center point of any decision that I make. I should always be reflecting back on that. And that's something I'm holding close to my heart as well. So listen to what others have to say. Uh, make sure I'm keeping at the center of my heart uh, what the, the interests are of the district uh, and, and the constituents in this district and, and use that to guide me going forward. Yeah, I think that is very good pieces of advice. Uh, uh, I love the state house, so I would just throw in my little tidbit. I always love watching the floor and seeing who's talking to who. That's yes. always a very interesting way to know, like, oh, somebody's going down because those two are talking to each other. So I'm sure you've heard that one before. No, oh, really? Uh, not specifically, oh, okay. but, I, but I've no. started to infer that from the few events that I've been to, that who is talking, to, who who's connecting and who's exchanging information does seem uh, very relevant. Yeah, so, yeah, and, you know, it's a little easier. Uh, the one the one way it's easier is when you are not a member and you are only in the gallery. It's, you get a bird's eye view of everybody, and you can see see what's going on. So that's always... Always fun, but uh, I'm sure you'll definitely be part of those conversations very soon. Uh, but um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask is something you were kind of hitting on, but um, not directly, kind of indirectly hitting on. You have been elected to represent your district, mm-hmm. and it's a district I know very well because I've lived in it for like you know, six years. But it's also you've been elected in a moment when there's a whole lot of energy behind Democrats and that there is – a lot of anger and frustration, but also new hope in these new elected officials that we've had that will be able to 
see some of the things that um, Democrats want to get done. However, you are going into an environment where two-thirds of your fellow state house representatives are Republicans. And so what, what do you think all this energy means going into the legislature? And like, what do you think you're, you'll be seeing from that, if you have any idea? Um, I don't know. Yeah. So let's, let's just throw that out there. I really don't know. Uh, one of the things that I hope that will happen is uh, with the tide turning, and, and this may be just really naive on my part, just being fully clear about that is that I hope that that induces uh, a willingness for folks to work with one another and what, no matter what party they are and realizing that uh, you know the electorate, the constituents, when they are frustrated with the way things are going, uh, are feeling a little empowered. So my hope is that, uh, that there will be an opportunity to work more close together. With that said, I've also been uh, another piece of advice that I've heard or, or, or stories that I've heard is that during an election year, you never know what can happen. Yes. Uh, things get a little uh, uh, spicier and a little more exciting. And so that that may be maybe my logical reasoning about what should happen may be completely wrong because right. because of uh, those outside factors of folks trying to position themselves for uh, the, their their upcoming campaign. Yeah, I will, I will definitely say, because um, my first session was in 2014. That was the first one where I was like at the Capitol a lot and really watching it. And that was also a gubernatorial election year, which you are walking into. And yeah, it's pretty crazy because, <laughs> you know, it's the, uh, I call it like the mad dash for the escalators that, you know, you know, deals getting off. And so a couple of people moving up and then people below them are trying to move up and only one person can get on that magical escalator to the higher office. And so people are just insane at their, you know, their last session uh, and trying to get some legislation passed. And then, you know, there's deal making everywhere going on. So yeah, I think the safest thing I could, I could tell you, is you're probably going to see some just insanity um, and <laughs> that you're going to not know what's going on a lot of times. And I felt that way, but it'll be, it'll be entertaining at the very least. Um, <laughs> but still somehow they'll find like the first two weeks, you'll do nothing. <laughs> yes. I've, I've never understood that, how, how they manage to do nothing for two weeks and then everything just starts to snap into place and, stuff starts to happen so. well my, my high school uh, modus operandi of being a procrastinator is going to appreciate that i've worked very hard to get away from that <laughs> yes uh, in my adult life and my professional life but yeah I, i'm I, i'm looking forward to it i'm very excited uh, i'm very excited to learn a lot and i'm hoping that i can have a positive impact both for the district and for the citizens of georgia at large yeah i mean i think honestly one thing that people really underestimate is just the importance of bringing a different perspective to the Capitol because a lot of times a lot of the same ideas are thrown around and sort of the same mindsets of what's even in the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. And so I think bringing a different perspective and bringing that very district rather than party focus would be very valuable because, you know, we're in a unique place and this is a unique district and there's a lot of really important things that are happening here that are happening all around the state. And, you know, you have uh, the luck, I would say, of having a district that's both urban and rural. Not mm -hmm. a lot of people in Georgia have that. Yeah, so. yeah. That's something that uh, that's something I, th I think is presents some unique opportunities and some challenges that go along with that. Uh, I feel I – mean, we may have talked about this last time, but I really feel like my, my background has helped me out because I basically this, – this district's geographical representation of – both rural and urban sort of represents my life history where I started out in a very urban area growing up when I was very young, but I moved to a very rural area and then I worked my way back up to Atlanta, lived in Atlanta for 
a year or two and then came back out here and moved out, you know, out here. And so it's just interesting that I've sort of lived, you know, both ends of that spectrum and seen the challenges that come along with, with both areas. So I think one of the issues, and you know, this may have been a question I might be preempting in a little bit, yeah. but one of the questions is like what's coming up in the, in the session. Uh, and one of the things that seems like that a lot of folks are talking about is rural broadband yes. and how we can address that. And uh, that's something that I dealt with in the, you know, in the eighties version of that, which was uh, no cable, right? Where, right? where I grew up, we couldn't get cable. And, you know, and I remember asking my parents, can we get cable? And they're like, no, like it's not even physically possible. Right. <laughs> we live too far away from any cable company to care. Um, and so I remember having that experience of having, you know, being far out and far removed from where information sources were libraries, which was, you know, you had to go into the library. If I wanted to go to a good library, I had to drive all the way, you know, 30 minutes away to, uh, to Clayton state university. Um, so it'll be, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, and hopefully that those perspectives will inform and help me uh, make a better decision. Yeah. So like on, on that note, because I don't know, so I'm sure a bunch of other people don't know either is like, is that a big problem in, is it in this district? Are there parts of this district that don't have broadband it access? Is, it is without a doubt. So there's portions of, of Oconee County for sure. in the Southern portion where you don't have uh, broadband access, um, the Southern portion suffers more from it than the Northern portion is closer to Athens and closer right. to 316. But there's also places where you don't even have cell phone service there as well. And it's not just Oconee, it's also the east side of Athens, which is part of District 119 as well, where you get out to the more rural areas and the population density is lighter. And so there's not as much financial incentives for uh, any of the telecommunications companies, whether it's a cable company or the phone company, to provide that, uh, that resource. They just, it's not cost effective. And, 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 uh, and I just remembered that there's actually subdivisions in Oconee County that don't have broadband access so it's not even just the rural there's just portions that just haven't been wired right there's there are subdivisions that are full of houses uh my wife and i that we that was something we considered when we were moving here and, and we were like where do we want to live i was like we go well you know one of my determined determinations is i've got to make sure that i have good broadband access being somebody who works in the technology field right um and to find that out that there's like whole subdivisions where that's not even possible, I just it blew my mind. So it's definitely a problem in this district. Uh, it's a problem, you know, a lot. It's a bigger problem in the rural areas, you know, where you get denser populations. You tend to have better service. But I think it's a fundamental, it's a fundamental uh, systemic problem that we've had across the United States for many, many years. I mean, when you think back about, you know, you mentioned. Uh, in our last chat about Lyndon Johnson and there being a great book about him, well, the rural electrification. And we, I don't know if we talked about that last. Yeah, we time. did. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what he had done when he was gone. Right. Yeah. This is essentially this. We're running into similar. Is. This it's is the same analogous issue. to that, where the, where nobody wants to run it out there, but when we do that, there's a great financial benefit, economic benefit for all of us to do that. It's going to help the folks out there uh, have access to training, have access to to uh, job opportunities, uh, and to be connected with the world in a better way. Um, and then that's going to bring up the economic activity of the state as a whole, make the state more attractive to uh, large uh, employers, uh, which, you know, this has a bunch of follow-on benefits. And it's it's not just here. It's, you know, happening out in Montana as well. So we're really facing that same – it's interesting to see that we're sort of facing that same problem again. And from the little I've seen, uh, seen you know, the whispers uh, – when I say the whispers, you know, blog posts, people talking to other folks who have a little more power at the state house. Sounds like that's something that's going to be uh, a pretty pretty uh, important issue, and I think we're going to look to see it get addressed. That's my gut feel. I don't yeah. have anybody tell me that. I just I've heard somebody speak about it over here. I've heard somebody speak about it over there, and I'm like, oh, those two people must be talking in the background somewhere. Yeah. Well, you know, the great thing about that issue in particular, because it's one that's important to me as well, is that it is one that 
as you've said, other people care about, including Casey Cagle, who is our lieutenant governor, who's mm-hmm. running for governor. And it's one of like his key campaign plans. You know, I have some friends that work on his campaign, and that's one of the big things they always harp at me that Cagle cares about. Mm-hmm. So on that front, I think it's a real opportunity to get that done or get progress towards that. And what's exciting about it is issues like that, a lot of times we'll have some Republicans that fall off. And so that's an opportunity for Democrats to use use their numbers to get some concessions and get it to be um, the type of help that we think is appropriate rather than what they might think is appropriate and you know pushing uh, access to the internet a little towards more of a utility thing of business, which is right. always important uh, in, in you know, a time where we're facing uh, net neutrality on the federal level, which is something we unfortunately have no power over really, um, but uh, something that is going to be affecting us and that issue pretty heavily uh, going mm-hmm. forward, I think. So yeah, that's a very important issue to, to hone in on. You, you've not found out what committees you're on yet, right? That's correct. Okay. Yet. Are you uh, comfortable saying, like, which ones you wish you would be on or anything um, you'd be interested in? Or, you know, because that, yeah. that's really a crapshoot. I, I know from my own experiences of working for a legislator, you really never know yeah. um, until you show up and they say, hey, you're here. Yeah, I um, I think I think I looked at, you know, four, what are there, 39, 40, 41? There, there's like, a lot. Yeah. There's a fair amount of committees. I looked at them and I was like, oh, I'd like to be on half of those, you know. And, I, and at the time, I didn't even know what the right amount or what the average amount of of committees it is to be right. on. Um, but I, I narrowed it down to six or seven. Um, and you know, there was a, you know, there was a, uh, one of them would be higher ed. I asked to be on higher ed, you know, having the university of Georgia, uh, being a large part of that campus being in my district, I feel like I should be uh, there to help, uh, represent, uh, our interest as a, as a district around the university. Um, I asked for, uh, science and tech. I actually attended, actually went up and attended uh, one of the science, uh, and tech, um, uh, committee meetings uh, just as a member at large. Uh, and that was interesting. Uh, and so those are two, and there were a few others. I, I think I asked to be on the telecommunications committee thinking about this broadband issue and wanting to be able to have some input. Um, it's not fully my wheelhouse because I come from the software side, but, uh, it's something that I can pick up rather quickly. And I've already started doing my research and, you know, maybe I won't be on that committee at all, but I'll still have an opinion. And I'll right. make sure that people hear my opinion, the folks there, if I can, and, and hopefully I can drive a better decision. Because I already already have some concerns about what I think are going to be the solutions that are going to be proposed and how they will. Or, I, I want to make sure that we don't end up in a situation where we, we put a Band-Aid on it and be like, oh, we did it. No, we did the work. Right. And then we didn't actually do the work of solving the problem uh, because that's, that really infuriates me because that's a waste of time. If we're going to go through the process of legislating a solution, let's legislate a good solution that's a real solution and not just put a Band-Aid on something to, to, to pat ourselves on the back that we did a good job and we don't actually solve the issue. Yeah, unfortunately, the General Assembly uh, tends to love to do that. So, <laughs> that yeah, it's kind of, they're really, really bad about that's that. Against my, that's against my ethos. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is that this is kind of like an amazing moment in American politics. We just had last night a Democrat winning Alabama. You know, a Democrat is the senator of Alabama until 2020, which is just insane for me to say and even think is possible. So, like, how does it feel to be someone who ran for office in this moment? Like, does that make you feel like you're part of something bigger? Does, you know, like, how, how, because I just, like, I feel like if it was me, you know, just to completely project <laughs> onto you sure, my feelings, sure. it's just like, I feel like I'd be kind of conflicted because I'd feel like, like, one, I feel this is great. Like, I'm part of this big thing that's happened nationwide. You know, there's a lot of change going on, and this, that's awesome. But then it also is like, 
did my campaign even matter? Like, am I just like, <laughs> riding a, am I riding a wave to victory? Like, did anyone actually listen to me, or were they just mad at Trump? And so they're like, that guy has a D by his name. That's great. Uh, yeah. It's like, so like, how are you feeling? Um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I've definitely felt both of those feelings. Of, you know, in, right. in the spectrum in between along the way, um, I've had some folks who 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 reminded me to say, you know, don't. Uh, don't shortchange yourself about being a good candidate, uh, but it's hard not to feel that the energy that people brought to the campaign was a big part of the success. Right. Uh, there were a lot of folks who came out to uh, to canvas. We had folks who phone banked. We had folks who supported financially. Like all of those things really had a big impact. Um, and uh, I think the the question that somebody had asked was, you know, did you, you know, when did you realize you were going to win? And I, mm. and I had, and I said, not until the day of the election. When did you think you were going to win? Not did you right. realize? And I said, not until the morning of the election did I actually have a feeling. I was like, I feel good about it. But it wasn't based on any experience or fact. It was just a feeling that came that morning. I said, I have a good feeling about it. And that was it. Then the rest of the day was a complete stress ball fest where <laughs> I was, you know, breaking down going, oh my gosh, I, you know, I was having to work that day. I wasn't even able to go out and canvas, which was really breaking my heart. But we had a lot of great people who were doing it on, who were still moving things forward. Uh, and uh, so I was incredibly stressed out, but I had that one moment of about five minutes where I felt good about it. Right. And um, yeah, it's hard to know. And I had somebody else say, you know, People work for years to get to this point to go to the state house, right? And you just and they, they didn't frame it this way, but I just sort of walked in, and so it's hard to have. In some ways, one of the things I've been trying to do is make sure that I'm having the right amount of of humbleness, the right amount of 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 um, gravitas that I appreciate the moment and I appreciate the gravity of the, my the responsibility that's on my shoulders to represent fifty three thousand people or so, because uh, I didn't have to put in the years of effort to make that happen. I just put in like what felt like to me years of effort in right. <laughs> sixty days, yeah. um, and so it's been you know it's it does feel good to be a part of a movement because I feel like the people who are motivated are that's me like I'm one of those people who the reason I got involved was because I was motivated to have an impact and realized that I needed to carry. Uh, some of that weight of civic responsibility and civic work and provide service back. Uh, and if this is a way that I could do that, great. But so it feels good to be a part of that because that's the same thing that motivated me. Right. Uh, so it doesn't, it doesn't detract. It just, rem- it, in some ways it may help me stay humble to realize that yes, maybe some of the things were things that I did, but I mean, it's such a, it's such a team sport. There's no way I could have done any of, I had any of this success without help, you know, even yeah. if I was a gifted politician who had, oodles of money and you know it still it still requires all you know all that help to happen so in some ways it's good to be i'm a part of a bigger thing and that helps keep me humble because i know that i wouldn't be where i am without that yeah though one, one moment of not being humble I will, I will allow you that picture of you on the front of the red and black is amazing <laughs> i love that picture and we will definitely like post that so people can see it do you like hate that picture like because uh, i love it like it's it's great it's just like it's the only person that has pulled off like the nixon v <laughs> that's a terrible thing <laughs> i know it is but still it's just like that's what it is though technically uh so there was uh yeah i do hate that picture is basically yeah. <laughs> yeah, i can tell it's so great though i when i saw that the next day i was like that's never going away it's not it's never going it's rest gonna be the life. cover of your book it's gonna be oh my goodness. your obituary it's, yeah, it's everything it's gonna be, yeah. yeah by then we'll be able to put uh you know images on gravestones and that's right be the thing that will be on there. um yeah i I was holding my notes in my hand, so it looks like I might be doing a victory, but I think it's yeah. like chopped off that I had my notes in my hand. Oh, that's so, great. So I had notes in one hand. And, yeah. You know, uh, but I did, you know, I did get excited uh, uh, at that point because I was, 
you know, I, trying to recognize all the effort that in time and all the work that everybody had done to put in that and just really sharing that back out with everyone. I knew that, um, I knew that, uh, I, I had basically written down sort of three speeches, if right. you will. And when I say speeches, let's use the term lightly, just yeah. a couple of notes. But the thing was, is the message that I wanted to convey in all three of them were really the same. It was maybe, you know, how I framed it and going forward would be different. But the message was that, uh, the reason that we were here, we had a lot to be proud of. There was a lot of work that was done, a lot of connections that were made that we should be very excited about as a group. Win, win or, or runoff or, or straight loss, like that was what I wanted to talk about. Right. Uh, and it was really just how could we get be really excited about it or do we have to be, you know, sort of grit our teeth and bear it? We've got a few more months or let me pump you up because uh, the work has not been in vain, you know? Yeah. Well, either way, I will say I appreciated that because I, I did not get to be there. And so, one, it kind of made me feel like, okay, everyone's as happy about this as I am, and so I don't feel as embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it was nice to have you kind of be, you know, the paragon of our, of our joint there well, for a moment. So, a, a, yeah. A little yeah. more context around that is it took me about 40 minutes to get there. So. Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> so somebody said, you know, somebody said, you won, you won. And I said, let's let's see some more results come in right. first because I just, I was like, I, I don't want to, you know, just ultimately when it comes down to those types of things, I, want, I like to be sure. We had talked a little bit about yeah. Uh, the other election the other night in Alabama and uh, and I like to try not to get my hopes up and be you know be pragmatic about those things and just sort of wait until it's a it's a sure thing and then we can celebrate <laughs> right yeah and that's that's definitely wise because uh, precincts come in a very mysterious way that's right and so it's it can it can shift pretty radically one one of the other things that's been happening in this moment is that there's a lot of people that have been running as like younger people mm-hmm. and I know like compared to me you're not young but like you're younger like compared to a lot of people at the capital and a lot of people that run in politics and so just like what you kind of like are you like really happy now that you've run at, at the age that you are like do you feel like that's contributing or you feel like that might help you contribute um, in some way like what do, you, what do you feel about that or is that something you haven't really thought about uh I hadn't given that much thought I I, I think I think from a point, um, for me, going back to being a, a little conservative, ultimately, about the, the, the types of risks that I t- like to take, like, I took this risk to run for an office, not because I thought I was a sure bet, but just because I was sure that I could have a positive impact uh, of some sort. Uh, and I think where the way age factors into that is that I'm old enough now where I have um, my, my, my desire to be secure which I think is ultimately illusion anyway, but you know my desire to be secure in in my situation, both in a career perspective, which is a big part of it. Like I feel confident that I have uh, you know have a strong career, I have uh, a strong professional network. That made it easier to take a risk, you know, in another right. area, and so that's where I think my age factors into it uh, the most. And and uh, I've you know professionally one of the things I was working on was leadership in the last five years I've been focused on how can I be a better leader there was a point in my career where I said I can only type code so fast right and I can only do it so long during the day and be effective and the way that I can have a bigger and stronger a bigger impact is to figure out how to teach others and so and and inspire them and so then I started focusing on leadership so I could have a, a larger impact outside of just my direct efforts so when I think about it now that you asked the question, I think my age might help in terms of energy and being able to, to uh, work essentially two jobs at the same time. Right. <laughs> you know, I've got the full-time day job, and then there's the part-time, full-time legislative responsibilities. I think that might help a little bit, but uh, 
you know, and also feel like my life stage of having children and then reaching a certain age that that helps provide some perspective that I might not have otherwise had. Yeah, and plus, I mean, one of the things we keep picking on is technology. And mm-hmm. I feel like bringing that viewpoint is something that younger people just naturally do, yes. which is a good thing. That was part of uh, the frustration, is uh, being frustrated with uh, folks who uh, maybe don't understand the implications and the nuance and how that matters. Uh, the the uh, technology is a force multiplier in any endeavor, for good or for ill. And when you don't pay attention to the small tweaks that can happen with it, they can have outsized impacts that you don't expect downstream. So it's incredibly important to be conscious of those. And if you're not, find somebody that you can speak to about that. Uh, And in that regard, I've already spoken to some folks who said, hey, you know stuff about this, right? You know, can I talk to you? I'm like, yes, please. That is why I'm happy to be here and hopefully uh, provide good counsel in that regard. Yeah, that's definitely exciting. And and just, you know, the one last note on the the younger people thing. I mean, what would you say to people, you know, your age, a little bit younger, that would be interested in running for office? (laughs) What advice would you give them? Because, you know, again, when you look at most of the people in office, they're significant significantly older yeah so uh i i think i would encourage more folks to do it i think uh you know when i encourage people to apply at a at a, at a, at a job co- at a company i've often told them that the first time you apply at a company you're really learning about what that company values through the interview process mm-hmm. and you, then you can come back and use that skill again you can come back knowing what they des- what they look for and what they value go practice those things and then come back and do it again having practiced those things and be a much more compelling candidate uh, for employment with them uh, and they are also seeing the difference in your growth um, and i don't know if that applies to politics but that's sort of the, been my philosophy there and i yeah. feel like there's some value in doing that get involved don't be timid right don't be timid about what you're going to do go in don't don't be afraid to, to go all the way in um uh, because you're going to learn more. If you go in timid, you're only going to learn as much as you're willing to, to, to stretch yourself. So if you go all in, you're going to learn a lot more uh, than you would otherwise. So from that perspective, I encourage people to do it. And I also think from a, a civic engagement perspective, there's a lot more value and more people being, being involved. It's going to force the conversation to be shaped differently. So I, I, I'm just imagining a, a, a zany scenario where you have a traditional uh, politician who maybe in their 50s or 60s who who are now finding themselves in a life position where they have the time to devote for that. Maybe they've been had an affinity for politics running against five people who are all under 30, right? right? That conversation is going to be framed differently than if they were running against other people who are the same age. And so I see there being value in just driving that conversation, which is what the impact that I thought I would have is just here I am running as a person with progressive values and this perspective, the technology perspective, uh, and that's going to change how we talk about things. And that might be the value that I can bring to a thing. So uh, I guess the, another way to say this succinctly, uh, excuse me, succinctly would be it doesn't have to be about winning. Right. There can be personal growth. There can be helping shape the conversation. It doesn't have to be about winning uh, to get involved. Yeah, I love that you say that because, you know, the first time we talked, I really noticed one of the things about you is you had one of the clearest reasons why I'm running that did not involve winning that I've ever heard. And I thought that was one great but two it now like begs the question so like your goal in running was you know winging was like a secondary goal from what i heard from you it's mm-hmm. like you wanted to make sure that like the other sides were being heard and like everybody felt represented all those good things but now you've won <laughs> so yeah. it's like what are your goals now like what are yeah. your goals for your first session like what yeah. do you think would be a good thing to to aim for besides the you know the great things you've already pointed out in representing your district and learning and listening i think the goals the things i would like to see happen 
Uh, I'm getting the feeling that they may be very hard to reach in the first session, as a first session. But they're the things I talked about on the campaign trail, which were, I'd love to see Medicaid uh, be expanded in the state of Georgia. I think that was a a grave miss uh, on the part of the legislature and the the state of Georgia to not do that at that time. And uh, people have been hurt by that. So uh, as a freshman (laughs) representative who's new to politics, being able to uh, positively impact that, that's highly unlikely, but then so was me winning in the first place. So, right. was, so who knows? I, I, I'm still, I'm, you know, we're in a crazy political moment. Right. So right. Maybe, maybe we should, maybe I shouldn't box myself in there. Right. Um, uh, fully funding a uh, QBE to support our schools. I think that would be amazing. There are a lot of things that I, I think would be uh, uh, wonderful things to happen that I think would be great for the state of Georgia, uh, for the citizens and for the folks in the district. But I, I think one of the things that you touched on, I'd like to highlight is, is that when I ran, I wasn't focused on winning. Uh, and, and my take on that is that when you look at great athletes or great performers or great artists, they're not going into a thing trying to say, I'm trying to create great art. Or I'm trying to be the best athlete in the world. They focus on the, de- they focus on the details of their craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where, how they achieve success. And I feel like uh, un- maybe just somewhat intentionally I brought, that was sort of the mentality. It was like, let me stay focused on doing the small things right, which were, which were running a, running a good campaign, which when I say running a good campaign, don't make, doesn't mean that I ran a good campaign. Right. It means that my team ran a good campaign, and I was focused on making sure I stayed focused on fundraising and can, and canvassing and getting the word out. So I, it was those two things that I kept doing, which was uh, some advice that I received early on. So I, I kept focusing on those small things. So my goal going to the, the, the legislature is to do, keep focusing on those small things, the, the listening and learning as much as I can and trying to pick up as much as I can. And if I focus on those small things, maybe something big will come out of that and that will be great. And, uh, and that's, that's, that worked the first time. So hopefully it'll work yeah. the second time. Well, I'd say, I say, I say it will, because, um, in my experience, a lot of the representatives that can do really well are the ones that focus on the small things. And it's just, it's a different small thing, you know, in mm-hmm. a campaign, it's like making sure you're knocking on enough doors and the legislature, it's making sure you show up to your committees and you provide valuable input and you suggest amendments that are good. And then, you know, you like make friends with your fellow legislators and don't just like shun people because they have ours by their name and make relationships and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like, it's crazy how much like not being a dick can help you <laughs> in the legislature. I, uh, you say all these things and it blows my mind that people would think that those are things that you, that you should not do. Like, anyone like the bar is very low unfortunately <laughs> not yeah. show up to your committee meetings like that's why you're signed to those things yeah, to go there and provide your it's input. crazy okay yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so i don't i don't suspect you will have that problem but no, you know it's still it, it does really it really is amazing because just like some representatives that you would not think can have an impact really do in their committees and it's even in the minority so that's that's one area where the small things really can help the big things um, in a really valuable way one thing I, I did want to mention since you kind of brought it up was um, you focused on, like, the mechanics of the campaign a lot, that kind of stuff, rather than the, like, goal of winning. And, you know, in this moment um, where we were talking about how there's been a lot of Democratic waves, mm-hmm. you know, not to puff you up at all, like, I sincerely thought you ran a really great campaign and you had a good team around you. And so, you know, is there any sort of advice there you have, like what things you thought worked, what things you thought were effective? Cause, oh yeah. We were making know. mistakes every week that well, drove me nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, but, uh, for good, for a good reason, um, uh, the campaign was so short. I didn't have time to, to let, to, to ruminate on what, what, how, why that thing went wrong and how I should fix it. I had to move on to the next thing. Right. Uh, and because that consistently happened throughout the eight or nine weeks, uh, that probably was better for me uh, to just focus on the future as opposed to focus on the mistake that we made in the past. Right. Uh, and this is a very mundane example, uh, but I 
like the very first week I qualified and one of the things I would, a piece of advice that I, I received was go out and purchase uh, campaign donation envelopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did. And if I had, you know, and I was like rushed into it and I, and they had, you know, they're a very smart website. They had like buy this much for, you know, buy 500 for, you know, a hundred dollars or buy 300 for $120. And, right. you know, and so I went and did the upgrade, not realizing I have so many extra campaign envelopes and they don't even have all the right information that I would like to have on there, right. uh, you know, going forward. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where I, you know, I, I, we made a mistake and I was like, and it bothered me and I had a little more time to ruminate in the beginning cause I was still getting up to speed on a lot of things. And, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. General advice is like, hopefully, good people show up to help you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I think I think the the way you can phrase it is like, you need good people to show up to help you. Yeah, like that's yeah, that's yeah. the advice because you know a lot of uh, <laughs> you know a lot of millennials and people my age, you know, uh, the generation that will forever be uh, crapped on. You know, we we get the reputation for like wanting to do everything by ourselves. And yeah. Like, in, in my experience, that just does not work out because I'm not that good at anything. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I... true of everyone. It's just like you know, like I feel like the people um, that are successful are the people that can build teams that yeah. can do things well. I did struggle with that. I, I do, I, at personal, as a person, I want to do all the things myself. So, But again, the pace of the campaign was just too rapid for me to uh, exert any of that, uh, those those less beneficial aspects of my personality. I had to trust that others were going to handle certain things because there were other things that I needed to focus on that only I could focus on. So being prepared to give my first stump speech on, on when we announced that I was running publicly, uh, there were other things that were going on that people were doing that I would have loved to have been involved in, but I need to focus on executing on that one thing. So if my advice would be to people is like definitely find good people or encourage good people, you know, you know, find good people to, to help you and then focus on the things that you, ha- that only you can do and trust that those other folks are going to do those things. Uh, and when I say trust, that doesn't mean just leave it to them. Definitely give them your input. Uh, but once you've given that input and, you know, iterate, you know, don't get mad at them if it goes wrong or anything like that, which I never did right. uh, with anything. If something went wrong, I was like, nope, no big deal. You know, sometimes people would beat themselves up. I'm like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> We've got 10 things to worry about this week. We can, right. We're not going to worry about the three things that we didn't do well last week. And, and that, and I think that's, that speaks to how, you know, running a good team, uh, is that I didn't have the, ch- the time to indulge those not great parts of my personality. Uh, and I, I had to focus on the things I could do and let the other people do what they could do well. Yeah. Well, great. Congratulations again for Thank winning. You. Very, very happy to see uh, that happen and see what you're going to do in this first session. And I look forward to, uh, keeping talking to you. Thanks for coming back on. All right. Thank you. No problem. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.